you never heard of. Hey everybody, welcome to the Common Folk Podcast with Ben, Morgan, and Andy. All right, welcome to Common Folk. We're back at it. So this week we've got kind of a special setup, something different than what we normally do. Um, years ago, buddy of mine that I got hooked up with, and Andy, I think you knew him pretty well too, Scott Papik. Right. He's currently running the Keep Climbing Mindset podcast and uh, a bunch of other things, but he's got a um, radio background and has been involved in that stuff for a long time. Was doing a great job, but him and I went out to meet these folks uh, in Iowa, just right across the river from us, the Lorimers, uh, Lorimer Farms. And what was going on at the time was it was exactly three years ago, mm-hmm. almost mm-hmm. to the date. Um, everything was frozen. Uh, we had pretty wet winter. There was a lot of moisture, a lot of snow, a lot of ice. Um, And then all of a sudden things started melting and we started getting a ton of rain. Yeah. It was just a perfect scenario. Um, And it got a real catchy name too, uh, called like the cyclone bomb. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of these things happened uh, north of where we're at right now, back in, you know, mild stomping grounds uh, up north. And of course, all that water, you know, goes downhill. It goes south. So all the flooding that took uh, place three hours, four, six hours north of us is just like everyone here. It's coming, you know, so figure it out, try and fix something. But uh, just like, you know, floods and how they impact, you can't just move a farm. You can't just pick up and, you know, move your home. So you can just uh, prepare the best you can. And even with that, I think a lot of folks were a little naive in thinking that the levees and certain dam systems were going to hold uh, and they did not. No, I remember that. Yeah, Ugh. and just to to foreshadow here, so th- what we're doing here is we're we're introducing this podcast that Scott and I recorded with the Lormers so many years ago, um, surrounding the devastation that they saw at their farm. And to get back to the storm, it was a it was really a perfect storm because yeah, it everything was frozen. We got the rain that we got, mm-hmm. and then everything was coming from up north, and the the water could not go in the ground. Right. It was hitting ice, yep. and it was just running everywhere. Mm-hmm. So it made the flooding 10 times worse. And then the ice that was melting was adding to the flooding, and the snow was adding <laughs> yeah. to the flooding. That was some really scary stuff, because you're exactly right. The The ground was still frozen. Uh, we had, uh, it was called a 100-year flood after it was all said and done. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had just record-breaking rainfall, and if you remember that, Rain, it started as a blizzard, started as a heavy snow. Then it turned to rain. It was just like the worst case scenario across uh, the board. It really was. And then you had those huge chunks of ice that were getting lifted up and just drove into bridges, drove yeah. into these old levee systems that that weren't necessarily made uh, to hold that kind of a load. And, yeah, this podcast really dives into it, and you get that firsthand perspective from Matt and Marcus, you know, they're down in their farm. What is it just outside of Tabor, Iowa? Iowa. Yeah. 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 So like, and it wasn't just people in Iowa or Nebraska got affected. Like everybody did, you know, from South Dakota all the way on down to the Gulf uh, in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Um, And to give people, you know, a little bit of perspective, like you're talking about with that ice. I mean, it was literally like what you would imagine of like glaciers picking up, moving across farm fields, 
so much mass that they were coming in contact with grain mm-hmm. bins, slicing grain bins open, pushing cars over, doing all kinds of crazy Demolishing stuff. Demolishing grain bins. Yeah. It was yeah. crazy. And it was literally these huge chunks of ice just yeah. smashing them. Uh, and we'll we'll throw this out on your guys' uh, social media pages, but I got some pictures that I took like four weeks later when I went home and just a big old field at a bridge at a pinch point where it was just fields of these big old pieces of ice. And we're still talking like the size of cars, buses. I'm not even exaggerating yeah. when I'm talking about the size wow. uh, of this ice that, that this flood was just picking up and sending down the river and, and just causing all sorts of problems. So to get to the folks that we interviewed um, – at the time, I mean, there was so much devastation, and at the Farm Focused Company, we decided that we were going to do a big fundraiser, mm-hmm. and all the brands that are on our site got behind it um, and advertised nationwide. And what we did was we sold a T-shirt that every bit of the proceeds from that T-shirt were going to go directly to a few farm families. Mm-hmm. This family that we interviewed was one of them um, that we met, and then there was a couple of other ones. There were some ranchers that got hit real hard. They're all their cattle were wiped away. Yep. Um, some of the dollars went to them. But I think we raised something like ten dollars or $15,000, somewhere in that range. It all went directly to them. It was a super cool deal. But in, in – and it was just a drop in the bucket, really, for what these people lost. But in doing all that, we went out and visited the farm, uh, met with the family, walked through the house, walked through the shop, yeah. it looked was at so the property. Yeah. Ugh, I've never seen anything like it. I guess I've just never stepped foot in something. Right. I mean, yeah, it's just, it was just, yeah, looking it put everybody in into shock, didn't it? You mm-hmm. know, and um, I, I mean, this was one of those events where I remember exactly where I was because my hometown was just getting smashed. It's right between two riverbeds there in the Niagara Valley. Um, and I just, I just felt helpless and hapless or whatever. So I put on my reporter hat and I, I was actually. As you guys, a couple of days before you guys doing this, I was actually alongside Harlan Road here, just a few miles north of us. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the first roads that got tore up because the Missouri River had already came out of its banks, both sides, uh, mm-hmm. east and west. And that, <laughs> uh, in a, I think it was a good something, uh, I don't want to say the wrong words here, like 12 hours later, you were going to get another influx from the Niagara River, which catches into the confluence up by Niagara, Nebraska, because the Spencer Dam had given way, had just straight up busted. Now, this was a dam that was being operated at the time by OPPD, Omaha Power Pub- Public Power, Yeah. Uh, and it totally gave way. And this was, it used to just power the entire town of Spencer. Uh, since that time, it got sent to a grid. But it was a pretty good-sized dam. Uh, all the way across the, the Niagara River, which isn't a small river by any means. And so that had happened. And you just saw this, this you, you know, the, you see like a tsunami scene, you know, in a movie. Yeah. That's what was coming down the river. And uh, that's what exactly what they had to deal with here when they're talking through this podcast. The, the sheer force of the water was unbelievable, mm-hmm. you know, just seeing what it what it was capable of and how many things got moved. I mean, there was literally like propane tanks from from farm shops i mean you're talking yeah. about massive propane tanks landing in other people's fields hundreds and hundreds of miles down river mm-hmm. yeah. you know uh, and, and even last night we had in our local fire department we had a fire along the edge of the river this thing was about a 100 acre fire and we're we're walking through the woods and all of this previous flood ground was the reason why the fire was so bad because it was all a bunch of dead logs oh, and trash. Oh, really? You know? And we were finding there. 100, 
500 gallon propane tanks sure. sitting in these areas that we were having to mm-hmm. yank out in case they were going to let, I mean, just it's still to, to today. Yeah. And what we were having to trudge through and get the trucks through was a bunch of silt and sand of, yeah. you know, where farmers have yep. decided to abandon that ground because it's too much money to, to oh, try yeah. to straighten That's it That's what out. I was just going to ask. You got to turn over them. that ground. That, that sludge stuff was so toxic. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were told even with your rubber boots, you weren't supposed to walk in that stuff. Because it just collected so many toxins, not just your typical runoff, which it was loaded with that, uh, but like oil and things from shops, you know, those propane tanks are just picking up and sending down. So it it was a messy deal back then, and we're still dealing with it here today. Three years later, that's what I was going to say. Are some of the guys able to farm any of that? Or like you said, it's too expensive to, does it just depend on the damage, I guess? From what I know... You know, a lot of them went in and did the restoration work and mm-hmm. are farming their fields. But yeah. a lot of them, you know, and we're not going to get in on, into all this, but a few years prior to that, there was another big one. Yeah. And yeah. they went through all that then and cleaned their fields then, $30,000 an acre or whatever the case uh, was to haul the sand off. Yeah. And then it came back in and they're like, yeah. forget it. We're out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're done with it. And they get into some of that talk too, yep. you know, uh, yep. where- Okay, what is the responsibility of the Corps of the Engineers? Who, mm-hmm. I mean, what it, what are we supposed to do with this ground, this land? Yeah. You know, tell us and we can go we, we can go with it. And a lot of those uh, questions still haven't been answered. It's just a fascinating story that's still being played out here today. And to that point, that's what we hope to do here is to play this episode that was recorded all those years ago and then go sit down with this family again here in the next couple of weeks and have mm-hmm. a follow-up part two. Um how do things look for them now? What have they done? Yeah. You know, are they back on their feet kind of thing? So that's the plan. Yeah. And until we have, maybe if we ever have a camera live here on us, go follow us, right, on Instagram, because we'll be posting some pictures at least and oh, yeah. get a visual. Yeah, we got it. Um, I mean, those pictures do it way more justice yeah. than us talking about yeah, it. Yeah, common know. folk. So, but yeah, listen to the podcast um, and it will be, uh, I don't know. I just want to follow up with them because I've thought about them a few times. I know you've talked to them, but just to have them in the studio would be cool. Right. For sure. All right. Well, cool. Uh, we're going to switch it over to Scott. He heads up this podcast. Um, him and I are interviewing him, but but primarily Scott. So uh, he does a great job. I think it's something that'll be very interesting uh, for you to listen to. It's a tearjerker. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some very tough yeah. conversations, but uh, but enjoy. Welcome to the Fight For It podcast. My name is Scott Papik. How are you today? Today's uh, kind of bittersweet, something I've never done, something I've never experienced. And I just thought it would truly be interesting to sit down to some folk with some folks here that have been through some adversity here the last few weeks. Nebraska and Iowa got hit with some horrific flooding. I am in around Tabor, Iowa, which is not far from Omaha. And I am with Matt, Marcus, Lanita, and Jim. I do have Ben from Farm Focused in here with me and Amber. So we are all hanging out. We have uh, three mics and we're going to make it work. We knew there was floods coming, but when did you really get scared about it? Me personally? Yes. Uh, Friday at noon. So Friday at noon. And then when did the flood actually come through? Well, it didn't really start getting on our prop our property here as far as the house goes until uh, late Friday night. So literally, um, like less than twelve hours. Um, yes, and the reason I didn't scare get scared about it, and everybody kept asking me because my dad built this house here 
for because he went through the 52 and the 60 flood. And after those two floods, he said, never again. Uh, in recorded history, water has never been this high up next to the hills. Mm -hmm. So we built the house here. 2013, we built the shop here. And so everybody kept asking me on Friday, you know, do we need to? I said, no, you know, it can't get here. But it did. Hmm. So were you still here when it was coming up to, let's say, your home? Yes, I came down Saturday morning at 5.15. We have a, a walk-in door on the north side of the shop. Mm -hmm. uh, there was still dry ground in front of that door. Uh, I came in. Uh, we still had everything hooked up in here. I watched the 5.30 news. I took a shower. When I stepped out, I stepped into water. Hmm. And so I went to Tabor, came back. Uh, Marcus was already here standing in front of the house in a foot of water holding the cat. So that was on Saturday. So at that point, we still didn't have, we had a basement full of water. We didn't have water in the house mm -hmm. yet. And uh, the water actually started coming in the house uh, noon on Saturday. When did you get nervous, Marcus? I, I don't, I wouldn't say I really get nervous, but I, we were sitting around the corner at the road close sign just having a couple of drinks and bullshitting and a guy come around the corner and said, have you seen how close the water's getting to the farm? I said, no, I'm not worried about it because we, I helped my uncle move and everybody moved from down by Bartlett and said, just put your stuff at our place. It's going to, it'll be fine. And, it, and everybody said it would be fine and never get up that high. And he, that guy come around and I talked to him. I'm, I'm like, well, I'm go, go around and look at it. So I went out around and looked at it and it was about 500 yards from the house. And I'm like, well, now's the time we better start doing something because we didn't think it was going to get here. So, and that was probably what five, five o'clock, six uh, o'clock on Friday. On Friday, yeah, it was earlier, about well, four. And then, so I called friends and some buddies and said, "Hey, we need some help. We got some stuff to move." And everybody kind of just teamed up and moved what we could, and thinking we could get the rest of the stuff downstairs or some important stuff out the next day. I mean, didn't figure it'd raise that fast, but. Got next morning, and that's when I was standing in a foot of water by the garage. But yeah, we worked in crews. Uh, Lanita and Jim uh, worked on the house Friday afternoon and evening. Uh, Marcus and his crew worked on the shop and the equipment in here. And I moved, uh, and with the help of her brother, moved all the farm machinery up to Marcus's place. When you say we got to start moving stuff. How do you prioritize what you move? <laughs> it's, re it's real easy uh, a con uh, to replace the combine $600,000. So, so, the, so the, the, uh, the equipment. Yes, I know, you know, photos and, you know, certain stuff have, you know, value, but, you know, it's stuff, that's our livelihood. You know, besides losing our home, we lost our job. You know, I, I mean, we've got, I mean, basically uh, 1,800 acres we're going to farm this year, uh, 1,500 of it's underwater. Uh, you know, so the equipment is what we use to, you know, farm it with. So we can't lose the equipment. 
you know, there, a lot of the stuff we use to work on the equipment is in here. It's not as valuable as the equipment, but his crew worked on putting it in the loft, you know, saying, well, the water's never going to get 10 feet deep in the shop. It got three feet deep, but all the important equipment was either up at his house or in the loft. Let's go back. How long is this? How long has the farm been in the family? Okay. Um, my grandfather came in 1890, and it's been in the family since then. Uh, my dad took it over 1950. Uh, I came home from college in 79, and now Marcus is the fourth generation. Hopefully. What do you mean, hopefully? It's, well, apparently we're going to get to that, but it's a, the future is looking grim. All right, let's talk about that. That is one thing I did not think of. You lose your job. And I'm oblivious to any of this, so if I'm asking a dumb question, I, I'm just curious because I don't know. So when it's underwater, is it unfixable? Okay, it depends. You know, there will have certain farms that with the river being out could have deposited sand on them, okay? okay. That will make that ground unusable until you, we either move the sand or, you know, whatever. And there's still farms down at Percival that have sand piles on them from 2011 flood. So they still haven't gotten rid of it all. So that's one issue. If we don't have the sand, another issue can be the trash. You saw when you drove in, we've got, you know, 300 yards from here, nothing but th two and three feet of corn stalks. The ground is never going to dry out underneath those corn stalks until we get them moved. Marcus tried burning them off the other night. It, you know, they're not dry enough. We need, you know, 70, 80 degree temperatures and some wind to dry them out to where they could possibly burn off. Then there's the other things. We've got uh, propane tanks, fuel tanks, an outhouse, uh, all kinds of trash just deposited on our property and our farm. And we've got to clean all of that up. As far as the actual farm ground, as soon as the water leaves and we can clean the ground as far as the trash goes, the ground's going to be fine. It's just getting it, the water off of it and getting it dry enough that we can drive equipment across it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, that depends on what they do with the river from here on out. You know, if they'd lower the river to 10 feet here, all this water would leave, it would go away and we wouldn't have a problem. But if they keep running it at this height, we're not going to be farming anything out there. When you say they, what do you mean they? Corps of Engineers. Well, why, why would they then not, once again, oblivious to this, why would they not just say, all right, we got to drop it to 10? Because when the, when, oh, the guy, we had a farm meeting yesterday, and the guy mentioned the act that, instituted building of the dam system and when the dams were built up north uh gavin's point uh Fort i don't for okay uh the reason for the dams were flood control okay number one uh energy production was number two and there was like three or four other things that 
were in priority, but flood control was number one. And that helped, but without the levees, it's you know, still flooded down here. And after the 62, 60 flood here, the levee system as it exists now was built in 1965, what they refer to as the federal levees. Huh? 62. Uh-uh. <laughs> but, um, well, anyway, the levees were built, and but b- between 65 and now, other organizations have gotten in with the core, and um, endangered species have become a priority, and flood control is now like 18th on the list of things that are important instead of it's they've gone away from their core thing and that's what i asked yesterday at the meeting you know i said everybody has a boss you know so if the core is to me is running around doing whatever they want okay or you know they're not doing to me what they're supposed to be doing Who's their boss? And I basically got told the president. And the only way the core is going to change what they do is it's going to require a congressional act of some kind. And the problem with that is, is we're such a small area, you know, getting all of Congress to pass something. And that's what they said, you know, if you have relatives in East Coast, West Coast, you know, uh, let them know that we need to change there's a lot of money say up north to where and kind of what we say and funny and joke around about here is the the core can't have people's boats up the side of the bank up north because i mean people have lake houses and like to go there in summer or whatever and but they don't they're not going to ruin their stuff because parks and recreation is their number one goal right now not flood control or the people down here to me i would rather i mean not even have the dams there and just run, let it run where it's supposed to run i mean nature's going to do what it originally set out to do and you're not going to change that and my grandpa me my mom's dad has been a river rat his whole life and he can tell you stories about the river and where it ran and where it's supposed to run and and he he hates the core just because he's seen since day one when they started changing the river and put a nine-foot channel in there for navigation, which they don't even use it for navigation anymore, that it was going to end up like this. And this is the worst he's seen. And he was born when? How old? He's 86? 87? Just turned or whatever, so. So what would be, what would be the awareness message you would want to get out? Priorities need to change. I mean, livelihood. I mean, it's not like we said talking earlier that we're very fortunate for what we have, and we had to deal with it. There's people two miles west of here. Her brother, my uncle, had water on his roof. So, I mean, I understand people don't need to look at us and feel sorry, and I don't want people to feel sorry for us just because that's not. I mean, that's not who I am. I mean, I've known hard work will get you through anything. And that's all I do. I mean, we work, me and him both work full time, 40 hour week jobs, and we farm. 
So you pile this on top of it. This is another job that we have to get done to be able to just survive. And I just like I said, I don't want people to feel sorry, but there's this people, is not what it people, is. There's people it's way not, worse off than we are. Yeah, but I'm just and saying. I, I'm just saying for the people that don't understand, yeah, well, like what would what would be the best thing to help you and your neighbors? Well, the thing of it is, is they need to decide: Are the people of this valley do they want us to farm this valley? Or do they want us to not? If they don't, then somebody needs to have the balls to stand up and say, you know, here's $100,000, get out. You know, we're going to do what we want with the river. We don't want you here. Okay? And if that's the case, they need to stand up and say that, whether it be because of recreation, endangered species, whatever it is. Okay? The other choice is, is do the flood control then like it's supposed to be, Okay, and then we wouldn't have this problem. But then the Corps has to make other, you know, the levee system works real well up until the point that the Missouri River levee breaks. Once the Missouri River levee breaks, then all the tributaries that feed it, like the one just south of us, is called Wabansi Ditch. Okay, that's Wabansi Creek. It feeds into the river. The levee on it is as high and as big as the Missouri River levee. So what happens is, is if the river breaks north of there, all that water comes up, and this levee is now not acting like flood control. It's acting like a dam. So all this water builds up, builds up, and builds up. So the problem is, and they can't get it through their head, and I mean they, as in the core, that once the Missouri River levee breaks, your system's broken. You need to go and break all the tributaries and let that water flow then. Yes, a lot of people would be affected by a foot of water instead of Bartlett getting 18 feet of water and finally the levee breaks and then it goes down to the next tributary and that poor community gets 18 feet of water. I mean, if the if the levee would have broken down at Bartlett 18 hours sooner, we would have never had water here. But it wasn't going to break unless it got that high because the water has to run over it to really break it. How far, how far are we from the river, actually, from where Two we're Two and at? a half miles. Holy. Next morning, foot of water, right, after been Saturday morning. So what is the what does Sunday and Monday look like? Tuesday, Wednesday. So what what are the steps that is it chaos or is it <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I could kind of get that the way you were shaking your head. But I guess, you know, when did you have that moment like this is fucked? And then when did you have that moment where you're like, okay, we need to we need to we need to get our stuff together and start going? I'd say we're kinda in the middle of between all of that though, because we worried about got all of our stuff out and got friends down here Saturday helped. We had a couple boats here and moved some stuff. Right. I mean, the water was, I mean, like he said, the last he they stepped foot in the house, water was just coming into the main floor of the house. And I was out here the whole morning moving stuff to get stuff, I mean, up high, refrigerators and everything else. But as far as, I mean, at that point, we're like, all right, this is, it can't get much higher than this. We knew something was going to happen. So, I mean, we kind of got, like he said, the expensive stuff out, move stuff up. And then after that, it was like, we'll get the rest of it out or worry about it later. And then we, what was it, Saturday morning or Sunday morning? Sunday morning, I woke up and we, Chelsea woke me up, my wife, and we didn't have power. 
and she got a text that we had to go help some friends just down the to the south of here about three miles move because water was getting up to them and we're like no way there's no way that was going to happen because something had to happen if that was going to happen so I drove around the corner, and this was 6 o'clock, 6.30 in the morning, and there's frost and on, on everything. And I drove around the corner, and I seen the corn stalks on the ground. I'm like, something broke. The water was gone at that point in time. So after that, it, I mean, we weren't worried about it after that. Yeah, there's a lot of work ahead of us, but the water was out of the house. We could go get the pumps going, get the basement emptied out, and kind of move on. So it, we never really got to see the house. I mean, the house never got a, fully underwater. So as far as saying, yeah, this is fucked, I didn't ever believe that because there's still a structure there. You're always going to have, you're going to have something. I mean, now if your house was completely underwater, that's when, I mean, that's my opinion of being completely screwed. Well, now my mom's opinion is totally (laughs) different about that. Do you want to, do you want to tell us your opinion? All right, finally. We couldn't mic her up, but now we got her all fired up. She's taking deep breaths here. Here we go. Well, I guess I don't know where to start. I mean, that was the whole thing. Whenever I went in there, it's like, where do we start? I mean, the basement had eight foot of water in it, and it's still a total mess. There's mud. Uh, All the appliances had a full kitchen down there. Uh, I used to do my canning down there and all. And they had removed everything out of there. And, yeah, um... I guess we had to prioritize also what we're going to do mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm. What was the most important? So we decided that we'd start up in stairs and get all the carpet out and, you know, that was going to ruin the floors if we left it in there, rot the floors, whatever. And then we went, after we did all that, we took removed everything out of the cupboards, practically everything out of the house. There was water in the bottoms of the cupboards. Uh, every cupboard you opened, if there were pots and pans, whatever you had to pour water out of, and uh, some of the sides of the cupboards, the they it wasn't solid wood on the insides. They put uh, well, it was, but they covered with a some kind of I don't know what it was, but anyway, it was falling off, you know, pulling off, and and my whole thing was, what are we going to do about this because of the mold? You know, and all these cupboards, I'm thinking it has to come out because of mold behind them, wet insulation, whatever. Well, now I guess we're going to have a water restoration come in next Wednesday and take a look at it and see what we got to do with stuff like that. You know, the drywall we know is going to have to come out at least four foot up in the whole house. And yeah, I'm thinking, man, wouldn't it be easier to start all over? from the ground up, get rid of this basement, get rid of the whole thing. But we can't. Financially, we can't. The house has a mortgage on it. And, you know, the money would go to the bank. And then where's the money coming from to build the house? You know what I mean? So we've got to, and I've faced it. I guess it took me a while to... Let it soak in, but yeah, we got to fix it back. It's going to be a lot of work. Don't get me wrong, but we can do the work. Um, I mean, we built this, you know, in here in our shop. So 
we can do the drywall, we can do the, you know, wiring, we can do everything, you know, that needs to be done. Problem is, is we have to do that in between, you know, his 40-hour-a-week job, my 40-hour-a-week job, and hopefully doing some farming eventually. Yeah, I'm not real good at doing the carpenter work. Or whatever I can do, I do tile. I, you know, um, painting. I wallpapering. I do all that stuff. You're better than and me. I uh, tell you that right now. Also, I farm too. That's my yep. job, and I'm she in the tractor. She, 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 she just, sits in the tractor all day every day while we're working. <laughs> so you talking that to get uh, to this point that you guys are making. You're talking. You guys are going to do all the work, and you guys can do all the work, and that's that's admirable. But the time is yeah. is the issue, and um, you know, Scott, we're coming. You know, you being uh, oblivious to some of this stuff, you know, to, to to open this up, we're getting ready to get into a heavy part of farming season. Yeah. So I mean, there's been years, and I mean, several in the last few. I mean. We're down in acres now. We were up around three thousand acres. There was two or three years where the planting track, the planter itself, r- ran for four and a half days, and was never off. Either he or uh, Marcus or I were running it. So you're talking about a job that's, you know, it's twenty four seven. So if you guys do get to farm, like we were talking about, if you're able to get into some of these fields, that has to be priority one because there's a there's a window there when that has to happen so all this other work that you guys have to do is gonna have to go on the back burner right but 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 it but this needs to be done right now too yes it does but that's why we're working out here in the building we figured these rooms here we could go ahead and fix up a whole lot faster than the house so we're gonna get them all fixed up we're gonna live out here so and then whatever if we're not farming not that we don't like living with Marcus, but you know, they're newlyweds. They don't need us intruding on them. And we can fix, you know, we already had the rooms here. You know, uh, another, another day or day and a half, we'll have this to where we could live here because we've got electricity, we have water, we've got heat. We can stay here. She can walk over and work on the house, you know, uh, when we can. You know, we'll do we'll farm obviously in the window that it needs to be farmed in. Uh, she'll have to. I mean, she obviously. I mean, she puts on the anhydrous. She does the land finishing. You know, the only thing she doesn't do is plant, and that's what I used Marks to. And I do. <laughs> I used to. Now they got it easier. I say, I used to have to take those snacks of seeds and lift them up and fill all that plant a sixteen row planter. Now they do it. You know, with the bean tender and the uh they have bulk in the corn they have them come and just put it in but well and you had you had mentioned there you know the stuff that still needs to be done and and also what a lot of people don't realize who are going to be listening to this farmers in this area are already behind without the flood oh yeah because last fall was was wet Yes. And and harvest went late. And we didn't finish harvest in. until yep. January fifteenth. Yep. And you couldn't get in and do your your fall work. So everyone was planning on getting an early spring, hammering it out, getting ready for planting, so on and so forth. Then all of a sudden, yeah, there's farmers down here that I mean we get we did get our crops out. Um, 
We had to wait till it had frozen because there was water and we were breaking through and getting stuck and whatever. But there's farmers that didn't get theirs out. And there's a lot of beans around here that was still in the field. And I'm, it's not funny, but there was one farmer that posted on Facebook that uh, as soon as this flood came in, he says, well, harvest of 2018 is now over. Yeah. And that's, that's really sad because there was a lot of crops out there still. But, uh, you know, I don't know whether you want to consider us, you know, very resilient or very stupid. But, you know, we've survived the 70s. Uh, my father survived two floods. We survived the 80s, which was horrible. I, I mean, I came home from college in 79 and uh, was immediately in $250,000 debt. I bought 80 acres at uh, $3,000 an acre. Uh, two years later, that land was worth $500 an acre. Uh, you know, Marcus asked me, you know, are we going to make it through this? It's been tough, real tough. Then you have things like this come up on you and it's like, yeah. are we going to make it through it again? And like you talked about the, you know, where you came from in California, the, you know, the wildfires and people losing their homes. Yes, that's horrible. You don't understand. Nobody understands. Excuse me. The love we have for the land. Like you like he said, you don't know whether to call us resilient or stupid. We farm because we like doing it. I mean, we're trying to make a little bit of money at it at the same time, but we're not. You're working 40 hours a week and you're farming. You're doing yeah. two jobs full time. Yeah, I write computer so don't, software. Don't, give me, don't sit here and, and tell us that you're stupid. You're resilient. Yeah, but, yeah, but some people say, what, what do you, uh, why are you farming? Why do you do all that just for a hobby? I, we like doing it. I mean, that's what we've always known, and that's what I've always wanted to do. I wish I didn't have to work 40 hours a week. I mean, that's what I keep striving to. That's why I put all the hard work and effort to actually try to do it so I don't have to do that. But I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have a decent job to cover the household and everything that and cover financials at home for my wife and everything else that – I can use a little bit of my money from work to help me farm. And this kind of really throws a wrench in all the plans to try to keep doing that. And I don't know, ask my wife how often I'm home Be, uh, because either I'm working at work, I'm working on the farm and now I'm working on this stuff. And at some point to keep sanity, I have to go do something for myself. And I understand. I mean, I, I love her, and I, I want to be around her, but I got to do the hobbies that I want to do. I mean, work on cars, go hunting. I mean, just to keep sane. And it's it's tough. I mean, for her, it's tough. I understand that. But if I'm going to keep, doing, keep financially doing what I'm doing to keep going to work, I've got to do something for myself, I guess, the way I say it. 
And and as far as I go on the uh, for the forty hour a week job, I mean, right after Lanita and I got married, uh, I mean the eighties were terrible. Uh, one of us had to get a job, and I I was the one that had a degree. So, you know, I have a I have a degree in mathematics and computer science, and everybody's like, why are you coming home to farm? I said, well, because if something goes wrong with the farm, you know. I want to have, I can get a job. Well, I got a job writing computer software and I've had it for 30 years. So, you know, and they say, well, you know, if somebody says you farm for a harvest, no, I farm because I love it. I do, I love the work. I love everything about it. The computer job that allowed me to put three kids through school and none of them have a student loan. That's huge in this day and age. So, you know, I was just providing for the family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I guess I don't know what else to say about it. It's just, you know, it seems like all Marcus and I do is work. I mean, every time I hear his phone ring, he's having to tell her he's down here working. He just came home from work. You know, he just put in eight hours, and now he's going to put in another four or five here. And that's in the off season. What is the biggest lesson you learned during this whole thing, whether good or bad? You got more friends than you know. Well, because, you know, like when Marcus said, you know, I I mean, when we finally made the decision we needed to move stuff and it was moved more than we could handle, he made a couple of phone calls and 15 people were here. Um... And I said, boy, Marcus, you have a lot of friends. Well, I mean, like I said, I have to go out and have fun. I have hunting buddies and people that actually I do stuff with because we're working all the time. We don't have time to go do coffee shop talk or go, I mean, screw around after work or whatever because I get off work to go to work. And there's people that have two jobs and they understand, and a lot of them understand that. But... They have. They also maybe have a weekend or a day off, and at this point in time, we ain't had a day off, and I don't know when. I mean, try to relax a little bit, but yeah, we're running, it, we're running low. Yeah. And as far as the biggest lesson I've learned, and it's always everybody knows it's always going to going to be this way, but what you have, be fortunate for what you have around you and the people you have around you i mean as far i mean we're fortunate that i live around the house i'm around the corner on a hill and i have a big enough house i can hold everybody and nobody has to go out and look for a home i mean everybody knew where they were going when this happened it's not like they had to ask me if they could move in it was it's what had to happen i mean to be able to keep doing this is what we i mean it was we were gonna have to do i mean i say that's part of the lesson i mean i already knew the answer but it just to see it is something something else like he said there's people worse off than us and i've learned that this is yeah this is gonna be here every day we can come and fix the work on it whenever we can but i've got a sister-in-law that's dying of cancer and that's one thing now instead of bawling all the time about this i think of her and that's a heck of a lot more important 
than this flood. Your lives, and we all have our lives. No, we're healthy. So, I guess lesson. I don't know if it's a lesson, but it really makes you think. Could be worse. It could be worse, right? But like I said, for me, it was the people. Uh, I mean, uh, we ordered supper last night from a local restaurant. We ordered supper last night from in town, and he went to pay for it, and they said it was already paid for. That's huge. About the only recreation that uh, Jim and I and Lanita do is we bowl in Council Bluffs. We have bowling friends that are bringing us supper tomorrow night. I guess, can I ask a question to you? I mean, you do, so that you do this, and... What, what's the biggest thing, what's the biggest eye-opener as far as seeing something like this? To somebody that's not from around the area, so people that listen to this know kind of yeah. how it actually, yeah, how you're, how, I mean, how they actually should perceive it, or, I mean, you shouldn't tell them how to perceive it, but, I mean, what's the biggest thing that you see, you've seen? I mean, when you drove around the corner, uh, you know, to get here, and you saw, you know, what it is, you know, and this is not even the worst. Stuff. I mean, there we can take you out in a boat and you look out there. It's like this is an ocean, and that's all farm ground under there. And it's people don't realize, and they see pictures of helicopter pictures, and but you don't see it until you're out there. So I guess that's why I just kind of want to ask you the question: what What's the biggest eye opener for you? It's a great question. Uh, where I live, nothing. There's no flooding. I didn't see anything. So driving down here, I went through Plattsmouth thinking I was going to cross over a bridge. Not oblivious, right? That was a disaster. Half the bridge was taken out from that river over there. And all the motorhomes all under, done, destroyed. It it didn't even feel like I lived in the United States, to be quite honest. I mean, there's a reason I wanted to come down here. Because I'm I'm curious. I'm, I'm not curious on your what what happened to you i just think people truly need to know i've seen it on tv i've seen this i've had some friends that have been affected but to like really come down here and see it it's another world it's a whole nother world to be honest when ben told me we're going to do it i've been very anxious about it because i didn't know i didn't know what to expect right but it doesn't matter what i think we are doing something to at least tell your story the one thing that does concern me, though, is that once the new, once the river goes down and the press is done watching it, like, what does six months look? I would actually love to come back down in six months and see how you've grown and where you went. And then I would like to see another six months from there. That's the part that everybody forgets about it once it's out of the media, right? What we are doing is forever content. And that's why I wanted to do it because it's always going to be there. I just really wanted to expose people to what it's really like. I mean, I can sit here and say, man, it's terrible on the news. Look at these pictures, but I'm not living it. I have no idea. So that was why. Sometimes it's a nightmare. Sometimes it's fun. I, I mean, I enjoy doing the work I've been doing. I've been, I've been doing wiring. I've been running uh, uh, computer cables, uh, coax cables, uh, putting in new 
wiring in here so we can live. And, you know, for a few hours, you know, I don't have to see out there what's, you know, the corn stalks, the water. I'm concentrating on my job. I'm kind of like you when you said I've not lived it. That was one of the first things that I thought when it happened to us, and I probably said it to everybody. First you wake up and you think it's a dream or whatever, but then it's reality for me. But then it takes a few days to just let it all soak in. I think, you know, everybody's saying it's going to be all right, you know, we'll work back and get it all back to, you know. So, yeah, far as really knowing uh, what other people feel like when they, the disaster happens to them, you don't till it happens to you. The Fight For It Podcast. You have to fight through adversity to do the things you want to do. Get where you want to go and live the way you want to live. What's your story? When I look back on the last 15 or 20 years, would I have done what I really wanted to do or did I just kind of like get through? You know what I mean? So, and then I would think to myself, if I had another life, why would I do it different? So, you know, I just made this, this is part of the decision of why we started doing what we're doing now was I'm not going to look and say, I would do something different in another life. Or I'd like to have a different, you know, I'd like to have a second shot at it. I'm gonna take that shot right now.